When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. God made me punch in accurate numbers. My castle won't crumble. What I tackle will fumble. I've been a leader when they ain't see it, but now my feet is up. According to me, royalty didn't end with King Tut. Crown on my head, clouds is at my legs. Big says sky is the limit. I look down on the ledge. I push the bar like I'm opening a cell. Hands in my cookie jar, you won't come out with a single nail. I need all of mine. The weight of my shoulders won't fit on a scale. What's a king to a giant? Well, Goliath fell. Even if we playing chess, dog, this king can't be checked. I make all my moves on the board. I invented my steps. Uh-huh. I'm a king, the blood of a ruler. I feel like Mansa Musa. Make your squad disappear like landing by the Bermuda. Triangle, look at it from my angle. I'm a king, the closest thing to being one of God's angels. Yeah. I'm a king. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes cuz I'm a king. Look me in my eyes cuz I'm a king. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. This is the Code of Conduct with the King podcast. I am your host Jay Spence the King and I am excited to be back. I am excited to be back on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network presented by Picasso's Pizza. Treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day. Picasso's, we are Buffalo's Pizza, right, Bruce? Shipping local and nationwide. We can order online at PicassoPizza.net. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Jay Smith, the King, and I got my man, Bruce, Mr. Exclusive himself, Bruce Nolan. What is going on, sir? Dude, it's a party all the time. Just disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. I will say every single time that I either hear that ad read for Picasso's or say that ad read for Picasso's, I want to do the Parks and Rec line treat yourself want to treat yourself just really <laughs> loudly you know you know pop some sort of bling out there go buy myself something extremely expensive and just say treat yourself and i might do that i might have picasso's pizza shipped to me and that'll be my treat yourself i'm not sure you know what though i was t- last week on uh, hump day joe and i were talking i haven't had picasso like ordered it on my own for quite some time because it just seems like it's like the party pizza I have to try like their their specialties and everything other than like, you know, I always get the sheet. You know, you always get either cheese or then the cheese and pepperoni. I got to see everything they got. It's happening. I have only had it once. And my wife said without hyperbole, my wife, not known for hyperbole, said, quote, this is the best pizza I've ever had in my life. End quote. So now we're whenever we have like a bad week or something. She'll say, well, you know, we could we could just take a road trip, go to Buffalo for the pizza and then just come back. So she's just thinking like road trip. You just leave on Friday night. 
you drive through, you know, you get there, you have some pizza, you turn around, you drive back, some sort of road trip adventure. We can do it. I'm I'm shocked. I mean, not in a bad way, because I mean, Picasso's is very good. Um, how how? But you know what? I know it to be true because I know you. You've had more than than Picasso's, I'm sure, in Buffalo. So I have. For you personally, and um, I know. I know now, you know, we have a nice friendship with Picasso's. But um, prior to that, what would you have said would have been your buff, your favorite Buffalo pizza? Before I had Picasso's, I liked Bocce's. Bocce's. OK, Next. yeah. See, I'm with I'm with Bocce's as well. And um, then I had Picasso's and I, I, I really, really liked Picasso's. I got to be honest. And I had it fresh, fresh. Like they literally it came out of the oven. They put it in a box. They handed it to me. I had already paid. And I walked outside, put it on the the trunk of my car and ate it right there. You could not have gotten a fresher. So I understand there may be some biases involved in that, but man, I loved it. I was a big fan. No, it's just, you know what? I think they have their, their sauce is better. Like they have like the mm -hmm. best sauce out of most places in the city, but Bocce's, I tell you, Bocce's Franco's, you know, th those are, and now Picasso, you know, they're all close. I got to try it. Got to try it. It gets me hungry every time I hear the read. And now that I'm reading the read, I'm ready to eat. But let's get into it. I'm excited, Bruce. The season is almost here. We have the preseason starting this week. There is football. It's football. I have um, the, the most healthy, unhealthy distraction there is being the National Football League. Are you excited? Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, you know, the summer is, is a dark time for me because I don't like any other sports. Aside from football and mixed martial arts, that's it. That's all I watch, football and mixed martial arts. So I am familiar with what's happening in baseball because it shows up on my Twitter feed despite my attempts to mute it. I, I'm familiar with basketball because it shows up on my Twitter feed despite mm -hmm. my attempts to mute it. But I can always count on Saturday nights for UFC fights. But now I can have sports more than just Saturday nights. Yeah. And I'm very excited about that because it's more sports and I'm not going to turn down more sports. Let me ask you this, because I'm a free agent this year, um, not for any big reason. I, I never have a college team to root for. And because of that, I never really watch college. I went to Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, which we all know they do not have a Division One football team. They do have a basketball team, but not a football team. So I never really had like any real connection or loyalty to any college team? Is there a specific team that you like? And I know that you're more on the analytical side of things. So you watch for like the purpose of knowledge and everything and enjoyment, but who would, who would you say would be a good team for me to, to check out as a free agent fan? Well, it depends on what you're looking for in a, in a team. So I am an Ohio state Buckeyes fan. And the reason okay. I'm an Ohio state Buckeyes fan is because I'm an Ohio state Buckeye alum. I graduated at least one or more FBI. of the degree or degrees that I have are the FBI. Hold on. So exactly. Ohio, yeah. Ohio, Ohio State alum. And so um, my wife is a Buckeye fan and uh, I'm a Buckeye fan. And it's not for everybody, right? This level of fandom is not for everybody. There's some people, it depends on your expectations. It's a little bit different with college football than it is with pro football because there's certain teams that are just never going to win a national championship. Like they're just never going to ever. And so your definitions of success change based on the program that you're following. You know, if you're a fan of Northwestern, right, making it to the Big Ten championship game, that's the Super Bowl. Like, you made it. Yeah. 
you you just you absolutely made it. You made it to the Big Ten. You winning your division is the Super Bowl. That's it, right? If you are a fan of Ohio State, or if you're a fan of Alabama, or if you're a fan of teams like that, it, for a lot of fans, it's you know win a national championship or that's it. Like that 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 that's the only definition of success. And I don't really ascribe to the Super Bowl or bust thing, so I don't believe in that concept. But it's a big big thing, a big thing in college football like that's a big thing so i think when it when you look at who i want to be a fan of like you think oh who do i want to be a fan of it's it's a little bit like like being on a dating app you know everybody's looking for a different thing on a dating app and you got to find the thing that works for you now for me i have emotional connection because i'm an alum and my wife is a fan now i don't like ohio state the same way that i like the bills i never have i never will right. um but also, it's similar to the NFL for me in the sense that if the Bills cease to exist tomorrow, I'd still watch the NFL. And if the Buckeyes cease to exist tomorrow, I'd still watch college football. You know, I, it's the way I feel about MMA. I am a fan of the sport. And I have rooting interests inside of that, but it all exists inside of my love for the sport. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, check, out, I'll, I'll check out your Buckeyes. Um I know uh, we got Sarah in the comments. She said it's all about the U. I'm guessing that, well, I'm not guessing. I'm sure that that's Miami University because, you know, that fan base is equally as strong as like Alabama's and the Ohio State's and all that stuff. I don't I don't want to jump on like the Ohio State or the Al Alabama bandwagon. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, for sure, yeah. Because that's what I feel like. It, I feel like, you know, for instance, like a couple of years ago when, when Golden State, I know you're not a basketball fan, but I'm sure you knew, like when they were mm -hmm. winning – or in the championship every single year. I feel like to jump out now and say, oh, I'm a Warriors fan. It's like, or now, obviously, the Bills, you know, have a, a whole new uh, section of Bills Mafia who uh, don't have the history, you know, but they are a part of it. And now they're just as excited. But I, I feel like I, I feel like that part of the fan base and that type of fan base, um, I'm, I'm not looking to be like that. So I want some good football, uh, you know, and you know me personally. I like good defense. I like good you know, good rushing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, some, some good, some good, uh, good juggernauts, like good defenses with some smash mouth football. That's what I'm looking for. So um, in the comments, let me know who you're looking for. I see some Purdue. I see Alabama. I see UB is fun to watch. When I lived in Buffalo, I used to actually go to the UB games as often as possible, but now being in Arizona, it's not as, um, yeah, obviously not as easy. ASU, Herm, um, I don't know, man. I, I had higher expectations for him and, up and down here at ASU, but I don't know. We got a question for you by James. They want to know, Bruce, who's your favorite fighter in the UFC? Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker, the Reaper. He is my favorite fighter in the UFC. Favorite fighter of all time. So there you right. go. Hey, and you know what? I know you mentioned that's the only, the other sport that you watch. There's been some good fights this year, like a ton of great fights this year. There has been. It's been it's been a good good year to be a uh, good year to be a UFC fan. Uh, so we're, we're, we're a fan. We picked it up actually not too long ago. So I've watched it for years and years and years and may or may not have partaken in some or one of the martial arts that are involved in mixed martial arts, but you know, FBI and stuff. But, uh, my wife just got on board in like 2016. <laughs> so it's still fairly new for her. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it took me a while. Cause at first when it, like when it first really became popular for me, it was like, 
you know, that's just a little bit too much. Like, you know, some of it, it was some some of the matches at the time for me were boring because I didn't understand the technical side of it. Like, I didn't want to watch the wrestling and, and all that stuff. I just wanted to see somebody get knocked out. You know, I want to see something like that. So I stick with I tend to be more of a boxing fan. But but now, you know, I guess maybe the older I got and more understanding of the technicality of the sport. Um, I've, I've grown to enjoy it. And there's been some fights, some really, really good fights this year. But look, let's get into the reason why I got you on the show, though. We got a few questions. We're going to get to your top 10 or your your quarterback tiering, your rankings for quarterbacks this year going into to this season. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about, about the Buffalo Bills. We've been um, seeing all the excitement coming out of, um, you know, coming out of camp. We, everybody's excited about everything from uh Kair Elam to how Josh looks to uh, the defensive line to just everything, you know, James Cook, it seems like his, you know, his radar or his, his meter is going all the way up. Everything that we're hearing about James Cook is, has been great. So um, the, the biggest, I have two questions for you. First, the biggest concern for me coming out of this whole thing, does it seem like to you that this year compared to last year, there's a lot more injuries or um, the team hasn't been doing as well at preserving, you know, our, our key players going into the season as they've been doing in years past. I think that we would feel differently about that if it wasn't for two main main injuries on the offensive line. I think we feel differently if Spencer Brown hadn't gotten hurt and if Roger Saffold hadn't gotten hurt. And if you look at their injuries, both of them happened in the offseason when right. the Bills didn't really have any control of that. So, you know, Roger Saffold got in a car accident. So, mm -hmm. I mean, what are you going to do there, right? Um, you know, and Spencer Brown was coming off of an injury when he got to camp. I think we would feel differently if the offensive line was whole and we'd feel differently that the offensive line was whole as far as they would, the ripple effect it would have on the rest of the vibe when it comes to the way that we perceive things. And I don't think that necessarily the... Buffalo Bills could have done anything differently in order to preserve those two people. I think that sometimes when you look at the totality, you think, okay, well, an outlier here, an outlier there, all of a sudden things look a lot different. You know, if you look at the, you know, passes that a quarterback makes over the course of the game and you go, okay, that pass doesn't get tipped. We might be viewing this very differently. And so that's the way I feel about the injury situation this year, where I acknowledge that it's a little heavier than perhaps we're used to, but I also acknowledge we feel a lot differently if it weren't for two things specifically on the offensive line, both of which the Buffalo Bills really don't have any control over. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're right. Obviously um, we see Saffo come back this week and um, a lot of fans were excited about that because of the state of the offensive line, it appeared that, you know, they just weren't protecting Josh as well. Um, I, but you know, for me, the reason why for me, the, the question comes up or the concern comes up is because then it's like, well, we also saw, you know, Micah Hyde um, with with a bit of a scare there. He didn't you know, he's not out for an extended period of time. He's not injured. But the things that we normally don't see, we don't even see those type of injuries. Jordan Poyer, same thing with his uh, hyperextended elbow. We don't see those type of things happen. And it was a freak play. It's not something that just typically happens. But again, th I think that's why you're hearing concern as well as what you said about the offensive line. Um, 
with with Saffold coming back, how do you feel about and in, in going into the season? So let's fast forward. Say we're at September now. How, how do you feel with the pieces that we have to the puzzle that we call the offensive line? Do you feel that um, we've taken a step forward with the pieces that we have? Or do you have expectations for us to take a step back from what we had on the field last year? I think the Bills can take a step forward. I think a lot of that revolves around the development of Spencer Brown. Because mm. I think that Spencer Brown is a player that I think got very, very, very miscategorized this offseason. Spencer Brown was not good last year. He was, he was not good. He had flashes of awesomeness. We love mm-hmm. to see him bury people. But Spencer Brown was objectively not a good tackle last year. Now, the thing is, there's a reason for that, right? The guy barely played football. And then also when he did, he came from a college that's not known as producing significant talent. And he's a rookie. So there are reasons why he wasn't good, but he wasn't good. But he is one of the most athletic tackle prospects in the history of football. And that's not hyperbole that's a a very real statement and so because of that you're always going to have these flashes of brilliance and if the flashes become trends and if the trends become consistency that's a really really good tackle prospect so i think they can be better because you have the tapped in upside to spencer brown it's not like spencer brown has hit his ceiling spencer brown the gap between what he is and what he can become is massive and every time you have one-fifth of your offensive line that has that amount of untapped potential, then there's a chance for you to take a significant step forward. In mm-hmm. addition to that, in a worst-case scenario, Spencer Brown absolutely lays the absolute largest egg you could possibly imagine. David Questenberry provides a nice little stopgap there at right mm-hmm. tackle, where worst-case scenario, break glass in case of emergency. I think the offensive tackle position at right side has a higher ceiling because of Spencer Brown and it has a higher floor because of David Questenberry. When it comes to right guard, I do think Roger Saffold's a better right guard than Daryl Williams is. In addition, both of those players, Saffold and Spencer Brown are far more athletic than was previously on the right side of this offensive line. It was better than when you had, you know, a Cody Ford and a Daryl Williams, for example. And if you're going to be running a little bit more zone, which we assume they're going to be with Aaron Cromer as the offensive line coach, you need those athletes. You need those athletes. So for me, I think that they have a higher ceiling because you have Spencer Brown. You have a higher floor because of David Questenberry. And you have a higher consistent vet presence at right guard. So assuming that everybody is... Assuming everybody is healthy, I think it's a better spot to be. Well, I'm, I'm excited about that. And then obviously you flip sides to that. So we're talking about the offensive line and now you flip that. And then you look at the defensive line and, you, and the, the, the obvious one is Von Miller is now a Buffalo Bill. But then, um, you know, I think just overall with the additions that that the Buffalo Bills front office made this year, I think the defensive line has taken has the potential to take a major step forward as well. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think Daquan Jones is a huge part of that because Mm -hmm. they have been really, 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 really talking about Ed Oliver taking the next step. And I don't think that you can have a tackle that isn't Aaron Donald who can get to elite status without at least reasonable play 
at least reasonable play from the one tech next to him. And Harrison mm-hmm. Phillips had flashes of brilliance. There's no question, but staying healthy was always an issue there. Um, Joe in the comment section says, I thought Saffold was inked at left guard. He's been there. I have no idea what they're going to end up being. I thought he was going to be the left guard. That's what I always assumed he was going to be the left guard. But now that he's healthy, who knows? So I don't know. But hmm. um, but back to Daquan Jones, I think that Daquan Jones has a chance to be schematically significant for this team. I think he's the most gifted offensive lineman we have. Obviously, we have Von Miller at this point, who's a Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. But schematically speaking, I think he may be the most significant because he can be that player that we were all hoping Maybe the Bills were going to draft Jordan Davis. Now, I wasn't rooting for drafting Jordan Davis in the first round because I think you can get a player like Daquan Jones and he can provide a similar style, even if not as physically dominant, for markedly less resource expenditure and be able to give you that two-gapping defensive tackle. Also, it's going to have a big, big impact on linebackers. If you're going to consistently play nickel, which you are, and you're going to consistently play too high, which you are, you now have math problems. It's a math problem. And if you consistently do that stuff and then underneath you ask your defensive lineman to one gap because they can't two gap. Now, all of a sudden your linebackers are under a lot of stress and I've never been a Tremaine Edmonds stand by any means, but I fully mm-hmm. acknowledge that this defense puts a lot on Tremaine Edmonds. And it would be nice if you had a one tech who didn't make you do that. Are you are you saying these nice things about Tremaine because you're on the code of conduct and you know that I love Tremaine, or are you just are you just being Bruce and, and this is honest Bruce? Bruce. Intellectual honesty is important. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did. But you know what? I agree with you. I think I think this year um you have it's kind of split on Tremaine Edmonds, like it's always like it always is. But I think this year, especially because you have a lot of people saying like, look, like next year, we do not need to extend this guy. It's going to be a lot of money. We can't afford him. We can't afford to keep him. You can't pay everybody. But then you have um, a good a, a, another side of the fan base or another side of um, really just football fans in general who know the sport, who look at this situation and think, you know what? Tremaine has an opportunity this year to take a step, not only take a step forward, but to have an, a, an amazing year, like a huge year. He's already a pro bowler. Um, some would say that can be like, you know, a popularity contest or whatever. I think he's going to have a mega year. And by mega, I don't necessarily mean um, a Ray Lewis Hall of Fame type year. I think the the pop plays, though, that that the fans want to see, I think, because um, he's, he's already a heck of a He's smart. He's fast. He, he's, you know, he's, he's, there's a lot of plays that aren't made because Tremaine Edmonds is on the field. So there's a lot of reasons for me personally that I think the Bills need to keep him. Um, I know you typically aren't like the, the contract guy. How do you think that situation plays out going forward, you know, after the season or, or going into the season? How do you think the Tremaine Edmonds um, contract situation plays out with the Bills? I would be surprised if they let him walk. I'd be very, very surprised. Just the way they speak about him, the way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean consistently speak about Tremaine Edmonds makes me think that he's he's going to get re-signed. I would, be, I would be more than mildly surprised if Tremaine Edmonds was not on this team in 2023. Yeah, and so I get challenged a, a quite a bit because obviously so there's a side of it where as a fan and, and as, a, as a human outside of the fact that like 
we break down sports. It's like I love Tremaine Edmonds. I love Jordan Poyer. I love Micah Hyde. Like I have my f- certain favorites. And then there's the football side of it. And you got to be honest about things. And I know you and I had a conversation before where I said to you, I'm like, well, as much as I love Tremaine, man, I'd cut or I trade or um, I let Tremaine walk before I let Jordan walk. How, how likely is it? Because you just said now you're like, well, you know, you, you think it's, it's difficult to see them let him walk based on how they talk about him. Um, So do you think it's more likely that a, the bills just let Jordan play this last year out, not extend him. And, and he's kind of the last or the odd man out in this situation where it's, you know, we built, the right way, this, this very deep roster, but now you get to the point where you can't pay everybody. Do you think Jordan's going to be that odd man out? If you held a gun to my head and made me predict right now, which I don't like predicting. So there's a couple yeah. things I don't like doing. I don't like predicting things. I don't like ranking things. And I'm going to do both of them on your show. So remind <laughs> me never to come back to your show don't, because you're making me back. all doing the things that I don't like doing. So you made me rank things. I don't like ranking things. And then you made me predict things. So, if you held a gun to my head and you made me predict at this point, it feels to me like it would be more probable that Tremaine Edmonds will be back than Jordan Poyer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been feeling and looking that way for me as well. And then like the certain conversations in certain circles I've had, it, it feels like that as well. And it's just, uh, it's disheartening on, on one sense, because, you know, just as a, as from my perspective, as a Bills fan, it's like for years, we haven't had like all pro anything like consistently at whatever now in our secondary you've you've had trey and you've had you know jordan and micah so now it's like hey let's keep this level of talent i guess you know it just comes down to you you got to trust the process and speaking of that process man i wanted to talk to you a little bit a little bit more about the bills we're talking about the secondary right now we just got off of jordan poyer uh potentially being the odd man out with the contract situation uh Hey, Trey has been out since Thanksgiving with this torn ACL. He's working his way back. He looks like an absolute freak <laughs> at the, you know, at, at camp. Every video we see, everybody that's there, everybody that that's gone to see him and they they report back, he just looks like an absolute freak. He's cut. He's, you know, he just looks ready. He looks ready. If he comes back, great. If he doesn't come back going into the season, how how um confident are you at the Buffalo Bills with the cornerback position? week one going up against the quarterback that we're going up against those wide receivers. Where are you at as far as the cornerback position? The amount of talent and resources necessary for me to be comfortable with the cornerback position are way higher than the threshold for this team. And that's really important. I was absolutely pounding my fist for an upgrade at cornerback for years and years and years And the Bills just don't really care all that much about it. Then they finally spent a first-round pick on it. And it might be Kair Elam as a rookie. And it might be Dane Jackson, week one. And I'm telling you right now that I'm not nearly as comfortable with that as I think the team is. Mm. You have to understand that Sean McDermott rolled out second and third-round rookies together. A rookie-cornerback tandem in Carolina. Like, just, eh. We're fine. Just two rookies. Who cares? Second and third round. Let's just go. And then he liked that player so much that even after that player, the third round rookie in this case, had turned out to be a player that didn't end up being successful in the NFL. The Bills still brought him around when Sean McDermott was back here. So when I say that he has faith in the system to be able to hide the flaws 
of lesser cornerbacks, it's much greater than it is for me. So I might be a little bit worried when it comes to Kyrie Elam and Dane Jackson being the starting cornerbacks for this team, but I can almost promise you that the team is not as worried as I am. Yeah, yeah, and I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, I've done some different pods here and there, and uh, one of the things that I've been saying is that my level of concern about the cornerback position is is elevated because what we're assuming is, first, we're assuming that Elam is going to be on the level of Levi Wallace. And like you, you know, a lot of people were looking for an upgrade there, but Levi played well. He, you know, he played well enough to never really be beat out of that position. Every year they bring people in every year. They don't bre- they don't beat Levi out. So now obviously he's gone. So you draft a guy, but we're assuming that the first round draft picked is automatically going to step in. And at the very least, his floor is going to be what we've been getting out of Levi Wallace, who's been a starter for us for multiple years. And then secondly, we're going to, again, assume that that Dane Jackson, which I think is a fair assumption in a, in a way, um, the type of character um, that we've seen from him and the, and the type of guys that the team typically drafts, I think that we can assume that he'll take a step forward or, or at the very least be the same guy. But that's an assumption. He, he can take a step back or, you know, the, the things we're playing a different team too like last season i don't feel like it really bothered us missing trey until we played against uh tom brady and then again until uh the playoff game against pat patrick mahomes um this year i think the first half of the season is like a gauntlet man like we're playing some quarterbacks against some receivers and it's going to be a tough job for those guys to really contain any of those those combinations in those in the first half of the season i think that when you mentioned floor and ceiling, I think they're hoping they can get Dane Jackson as a Levi Wallace light sort of situation. And then Kyrie Lim can you can you're gonna get a little variance. You can get a little variance with your first round rookie as long as you have steady Eddie on one side. Because really what you can't have is you can't have both sides of your coverages requiring you to roll things over top because that's when you create problems. If you have to roll something to protect Kyrie Elam, well, you were used to doing that with Levi Wallace anyway. So if you have to roll that way, you can. The issue becomes when you have to cover both your corners. I think the long speed that Kyrie Elam has might say, okay, you know what? We'll play him in off coverage. You've been you've been practicing a lot in off coverage. I mean, he he's been playing a lot of off coverage, right? In in, mm-hmm. in training camp because in college he was a press man corner and then he played zone. So off man is something you got to get used to. It requires a lot of technique. It requires a lot of timing. It requires you to stay low. A lot of people have hip elevation problems when they run into things like that. And if you are a situ- in a situation where you can pick a corner and say, I want to help this guy, then you're okay. If you say, I have to help these guys, then you're not okay. And I think that they're hoping Dane Jackson can provide a little bit of that steady Eddie that Levi Wallace did. And you can stay in too high. And as we mentioned before, you can stay in too high because the defensive line allows you to two gap, which puts Brian and all this stuff is connected. The fact that the defensive line is upgraded means you can stay in too high. The fact you can stay in too high means you can protect your corners. And so all this stuff is connected as far as if one of the dominoes goes right, it'll trickle into everything else. Well, I have uh, high hopes, man. But I, like I said, I, it, it, there is a part of me that's nervous about that because I do feel like, you know, 
over the last couple of years when our defense has been playing at a high level, I do feel like it has been the cornerback position where it does seem like, you know, when the defense is strong, it is the cornerback. Because even when Trey was in, it does seem like at certain moments, like big moments, um, you know, third and three, third and five, they're giving up that first down. Or um, there's oftentimes that you do see Trey making that tackle or we saw Levi making that tackle as opposed to us just making stops and getting off the field. So so without Trey being there, man, I, I can't I can't lie. I'm a little I'm a little bit more worried than I probably want to be. That's the truth. I get it, but I'll always be worried. I mean, I'm worried if you don't have two upper echelon players at corner. It's just the way it is. So I've just accepted I'm going to perpetually just be hugging my knees and rocking back and forth. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Eli wants to know if we think McDermott is being a little cocky by playing Elam and Dane as cornerbacks without bringing in a vet since Trey might not, you know, because like I said, there is still speculation that he will be back. But, um, you know, how do you feel about that? Do you think he, McDermott is showing a little bit of cockiness here? You and I talked about this in a chat not too long ago. We talked about the definition mm-hmm. of arrogance, right? Yeah. And being cocky. And arrogance is misplaced confidence. Now, the scoreboard, the history, says that Sean McDermott can operate with less than stellar cornerback play. He's consistently mm-hmm. shown that. So the scoreboard says he can do that. It says he has been able to operate with less talented corners. So I don't think it's cocky. Do I think it's not as concerned as you should be? Maybe. I'll let you know when week one's over. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, three games is a trend, so I guess I'll I'll let you know after week three is over. But Sean McDermott has earned the benefit of the doubt that he can get reasonable play from cornerbacks. The question is, is reasonable good enough? It's not whether or not he can get us to reasonable cornerback play. We know he can. The Bills had reasonable cornerback play after Tredavious White got hurt last year. Hot, you know, kind of patching together Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. Got you got reasonable cornerback play, but is reasonable good enough against the Rams? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So the question isn't whether he can get to reasonable. The question is, is reasonable good enough? Can you get better than that? <sighs> you got me scared, Bruce. You got me scared. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. I know as Bills fans, we wait all year for the fall and the winter so we can go to the Bills games. I get it. Trust me, I do. But let me tell you why this time of the year is elite. It's party time. And we're going to party for so many reasons, whether it's a graduation party, a birthday party, family reunion, or just because it's Saturday and the weather's perfect. Here's the thing. My guy, Buffalo Freddy, has everything you need to make your party the best party of the year. We have everything from chairs and tables to premium tents, water slides, wet and dry bounce houses, and so much more. And that's not all. The best barbecue catering in Western New York has you covered, whether it's a small party or a corporate gathering. Buffalo Freddy Barbecue Catering makes everything easy for you. Rentals and bookings available now at www.buffalofreddy.com or you can call 716-4-FREDDY. That's 716-437-3339. Remember, for all your party rental needs, just call 4-FREDDY. Call my man for Freddie. Now, there's a couple of announcements that I need to make before Bruce and I uh, take it to the next place or the next step of this pod where we're talking about some quarterback rankings or the way we view the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Uh, the Megapod and the beer release. I guess, um, I don't know. 
I don't know which one I'm more excited about, whether it's the beer itself or if it's the Megapod, because we're all coming together and I get to hang out with everybody and get to see everybody. But Joe Miller is going to be hosting the Megapod for uh, the Buffalo Rumblings beer release in Listen, this partnership with Resurgence last year went great. It was phenomenal. This year, we're going to run it back. We're going to do it again. We got Buff on Weck is going to be there with some good merchandise. We got fans of Buffalo. They're going to be coming out. They're going to have a table to let everybody know about a lot of their uh, just a, a bunch of the the. They have a, a whole bunch of different plan or not plans, but travel arrangements this year for all the games that's going on for the rest of the season. So since this is just going to be week two, you can get a lot of different ideas about what games you want to go to and how you can make that possible. You want to make sure that you come out to resurgence. This is going to be on the 17th. So this is Saturday night. It starts at, well, I think the event will really start at 7 p.m., but the pod is going to start at 8 p.m. Let's get there. 55 Chicago Street, downtown Buffalo, resurgence. Let's make it happen. And then also the night before, the 16th, at the Heights Experience, we're going to have the official Bills Mafia karaoke night of opening weekend. What we're going to be doing is I'm going to post this, this link. If you are listening to this via pod, please come find me on Twitter or find me on Instagram at J, at, at I keep forgetting my Twitter handle. Jay Spence, the King. Uh, find me. I, I'm going to post the link. Please grab your tickets. If you cannot make it, please post a donation. What we are doing is I am going to be making a donation to the Church of Good Samaritan and as a scholarship or just as a donation in memory of Pearl Young, who was one of the victims at the shooting or in the shooting at Tops on Jefferson. So now we got all the announcements out the way. Thank you all. I can't wait to come back to Buffalo, see y'all, kick it with y'all, hang with y'all. But, Bruce, I'm ready. I got I to gotta talk to you, man. I'm ready uh, to talk to you about this quarterback ranking or this quarterback list. Um, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was a little bit longer than that, I don't know, but you were on Twitter and you were having a discussion about um, Kyler Murray, and it mu- actually it must have been right when he signed his extension. But you mentioned that you would take Kirk Cousins over Kyler Murray, and I'm like, wait a minute. So – I send you a message and I'm like, Bruce, you want to come on a show and talk to me about quarterbacks? Cause I don't understand this. And you did a good job explaining it, but I want to get a little bit deeper into that. So um, real quick, we're going to go through your top 10. Um, so we'll go through quarterback by quarterback. So you can kind of have a brief moment to explain why you put them where you put them. And then um, I want to dive into a, the, the value um in certain contracts as so, cause I, I did want to compare the Josh Allen versus the Kyler Murray versus what will be the Lamar Jackson and certain contracts. But I really wanted to talk to you about that Kirk cousins and Kyler and Kyler Murray comparison. So um, before jumping in, I do know you have this split into two tiers. Can you um, begin by letting us know what the tiers are? So we have an understanding. So it's important to note that I hate ranking things. I hate ranking things because it forces you to draw very, very, very small lines between people who are far more common than they are apart. And it forces people to get lost in a little of the minutia. But ranking is an important part of being able to have discussions because it forces that on you. So as someone who is forced to rank things, it is good to go through the mental process of ranking things because it forces you to come up with the most minute and unbelievably specific tiebreakers necessary to be able to draw a distinction between quarterbacks who are very, 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 very good and quarterbacks who are very, 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 very good. And so for me, 
I break down my quarterbacks into tiers. And the reason I do this is I do this based on the amount of help that you would need to give them to accomplish the same result. And so the I'm basically isolating a variable. I'm holding a variable and then manipulating the rest of the situation around it. And the hold variable that I'm using is Super Bowl contender. So that means we have to define Super Bowl contender. Super Bowl contender, by my definition, is if you win a Super Bowl, the narrative will not be, oh my gosh, no one saw that coming. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? No one in a million years would have thought they would have won the Super Bowl this year. If that is not the narrative, then by definition, you are a Super Bowl contender. So for example, if the Texans win the Super Bowl this year, (laughs) is the narrative going to be, holy crap, no one thought the Texans could win the Super Bowl? Yes. Therefore, they are not a Super Bowl contender. If the Bills win the Super Bowl, will that be the narrative? No. Therefore, the Bills are a Super Bowl contender. So my question when it comes to ranking quarterbacks is tiering them is how good does the roster around the quarterback need to be to accomplish Super Bowl contender status? The top tier is if you give them an average remainder of roster, something that's not terrible, it's fine. If you give them a fine remainder of roster around them, and that includes coaches, remainder of organization around you, then you have a Super Bowl contender. The second tier is above average remainder of roster equals Super Bowl contender. So if you give this quarterback an above average supporting cast, then you can get Super Bowl contender status. The tier below that is elite remainder of roster. You got to give them an elite remainder of roster. So they're like, yeah, they're a Super Bowl contender as long as the quarterback doesn't hold them back, right? That's the scenario for this. And then below that is historic remainder of roster. You got to have one of the best teams ever. This is where you accommodate for the Brad Johnsons and the Trent Dilfers of the world. They had elite remainder of organizations and they were Super Bowl contender and everyone accepted that they were Super Bowl contender, even though no one was operating under the assumption that the quarterback play was going to be a big part of it. So this is the quarterback tierings for me. And the top 10 contains two of those tiers. So the top 10 starts off right off the bat with someone who is halfway through the second tier, and that's Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, good quarterback. For 2021, he was ninth in QBR, third in passer rating, seventh in average net yards per attempt, 11th in EPA per play, third in DVOA, eighth in PFF grade, ninth in CPOE. Good, good, good across the board. I would consider him to be supercharged Kirk Cousins. If you look at Kirk Cousins as the line of anyone better than him is really good and anyone worse than him is not really good, then Dak Prescott for me is the line above that. Dak Prescott is the, okay, anyone better than him is really, really a good player. Anyone worse than him is, okay, they could still be a good player, but he's like the dividing line for me. He is the dividing line between players who are good and players who are great. So. He's not necessarily the drop-off on a tier by himself, but he can provide that dividing line. I think that nobody in Dallas looks at Dak Prescott and says, we really need to try hard for an upgrade. There are days where he's not going to play as well, and you're going to go, man, you know, 
wish we had Patrick Mahomes. But you get what? You don't get to have a Patrick Mahomes every time. But if you have a Dak Prescott on your team, you re-sign him, and you know that if you surround him with appropriate pieces, you can be a Super Bowl contender too. Okay. Dak Prescott coming in at number 10. Number nine. Lamar Jackson. Um, I am not here for your Lamar Jackson's a running back. I'm just not here for him. I cannot take you seriously if you give me Lamar Jackson as a running back. I just can't. Lamar Jackson was an elite passer during his year as an MVP. One of the most mm-hmm. efficient passers in the history of football that year when it comes to touchdown percentage and things like that. This was a really, really, really good player. Now, Jackson did not have a good year last year. It's really important that we operate under this intellectual honesty. Lamar Jackson did not have a good year last year. 17th in QBR, 23rd in passer rating, 20th in average net yard per attempt, 18th in EPA per play, 19th in DVOA, 21st in PFF grade. I think injuries had a lot to do with that. The Ravens were one of the most banged up teams ever Mm. last year. I mean, just obliterated with injuries. Lamar got hurt. Lamar got COVID. There was a lot of things. And it, it sounds like excuses, but excuses are things that erase a factor. That's an excuse. That's literally what the word excuse means. To excuse something is to erase it out. I'm not excusing it. I'm providing context with those things. I've never been a huge fan of the way that Greg Roman schemes his passing attack. For goodness sake, I was watching a lot of Rashad Bateman this past year, and I swear if I see any more hitch concepts, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> like, it's just hitch after hitch after hitch after hitch after hitch. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Hitch and goes. We get it. We get it. But if you didn't like Brian Dable's passing concepts, I would highly encourage you to go look at Brian da- at uh, Greg Roman's passing concepts and see how you feel about that. So, <laughs> Lamar Jackson is an elite quarterback. They need to pay him. And I am not here at all for your Lamar Jackson's a running back nonsense. It's insane. It, it's absolutely insane. Lamar Jackson, number nine. Coming in at number eight, we have Russell Wilson. Let's ride. Broncos, Broncos country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Broncos country. Let's ride. Let's put the emphasis on the wrong syllable as much as possible in order to make sure that we have the full Russell Wilson experience. Russell Wilson's a really good player. Now, he wasn't the same player after he came back from his injury. And I always start to worry a little bit about Russell Wilson when it comes to stylistically the way he plays. At some point, the Fran Tarkenton stuff is not going to go the way we want it to go. Russell Wilson loves the deep ball. He loves the deep ball. He oftentimes loves the deep ball at a detriment to the remainder of the passing concepts. I mean, if you don't believe me, ask his former teammate, Richard Sherman who mentioned recently that Russell Wilson has a tendency to fall in love with the deep ball a little bit. There are some areas of the field that Russell Wilson does not play at at a high level because of his height. And we don't really want to talk about that. We thought that the advent of Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray being good players is the end of the quarterback height discussion. And it's not, it's not all it means is that the height doesn't stop you from being a really good player because it doesn't, but it does qualitatively change the way that you play the game. If you look at the heat maps for Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, and part of this is going to come into play later when we talk about Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins, there are certain areas of the field they just don't throw to. And that matters. Qualitatively, the more you can do, the more areas of the field you can attack, the better you can be as a quarterback. 
and the easier it is to call offensive plays for you. One of the discussions this year coming into the Jerry Judy conversation was, if, is Jerry Judy going to be a slot player? And if he mm-hmm. is going to be a slot player, is he going to be able to be fully utilized by Russell Wilson, who does not have a tendency to throw significantly to the middle of the field? Now, of course, Tim Patrick got hurt, with which moves Jerry Judy to the outside receiver position if he wasn't there already and moves KJ Hamler into the slot. So that changes the discussion on Jerry Judy, but it's a very real thing. The limitations of Russell Wilson stylistically as a quarterback are a very real thing. And as he gets older, you start to wonder if it's not going to age that well. So Russell Wilson, great player, right? Great player. But stylistically, there are some things that keep him from being a top five quarterback for me. Russell was he um for me it's, it's it's weird it's like he always starts off the season on top like on fire and everybody's talking about how he's an MVP candidate and then it seems like around like week 10 and week 11 whether it be injury or whatever the whatever it is he just fizzes out he just you know he just is, he does not end up in that conversation he doesn't get the votes and it is it's so confusing it's so confusing every year coming in at number seven we got the defending Super Bowl champion Mr. Matthew Stafford I was really happy for Matthew Stafford when he run a Super Bowl ring. I was really happy for Andy Reid when he won his Super Bowl ring because I do think that Andy Reid was notoriously underrated as a quarterback, I'm sorry, as a coach, and oh, he can't win the big one. Matthew Stafford was the same way when he was toiling away in Detroit. And I think that Matthew Stafford had something that showed up in Detroit all the time that you didn't quite get a real appreciation for until he was in Los Angeles, and that's arm talent. Matthew Stafford, there's a reason why Mel Kuyper compared Josh Allen to Matthew Stafford coming out. It was because they have special, special levels of arm talent. Matthew Stafford can absolutely slant. And you don't really appreciate that until you have a system that is built around the idea that you can have a lot of stuff going on on the front side with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And then you can have a player like Odell Beckham as your isolated X receiver on the backside. And you can consistently hit that backside dig, something that players like Baker Mayfield never did. That front side stuff that they do with Cooper Cup, that's never going to work unless you have a quarterback who can consistently make it to and throw the backside dig. And that's what Jared Goff was never going to be able to do. Now you have Allen Robinson in that spot that was previously occupied by Odo Beckham. And you're like, okay, now we're on to something. I am so excited to see Allen Robinson in the Rams offense because it's such an easy transition from what Odell Beckham did for them the back half of 2021 to now what you're going to see from Allen Robinson in this offense moving forward. It's such an easy transition. And when you jumped from Jared Goff, who is not a bad player, to Matthew Stafford, I think you really started to appreciate Matthew Stafford the way that he probably should have been appreciated in Detroit because he opens the world up for you. This is someone who was one of the best play callers in football in Sean McVay. And even he wasn't able to make up for the limitations that Jared Goff gave you. The fact that one of the best play callers in football can't overcome a quarterback who doesn't have that level of arm talent should tell you a lot of what you need to know about Matthew Stafford. And I'm happy he's finally getting his flowers And I hope his elbow is completely fine this year because being able to see him in a really good offense is an absolute treat for anyone who really loves the game of football. Well, I'm, I'm excited about him, but I'm scared about him week one. 
because the, the truth <laughs> of the thing is so and like I said last season you know Trey goes down and we face these guys or we end up facing backups or we end up facing somebody because of an injury or whatever and the defense still puts up these amazing numbers we have the the game in December where um you know I think the Patriots had what 18 yards so yeah that looks very good and it helps your overall numbers be that mega number one ranked defense with only a hundred and I think 187 yards in the air given up but I think you know when you when you come out and you're facing Matthew Stafford week one it's different than facing Mac Jones in Buffalo with 40 you know 40 mile gusts of wind it's, it's just different to me so it, I'm nervous yeah I, I'm not I, I don't think great defenses stop great offenses anymore in the NFL I don't think that's a thing no I think you need a great offense to stop a great offense so Absolutely. I don't I don't ever hold the responsibility of the defense to hold an electric offense to 17 points. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's just not part of the way the NFL game is going. I think you try to minimize, right? If you can get a punt, that's a, that's, that's a victory, right? Let's just get a punt. Okay. Let's just not have them score this drive, but the scoring in the NFL goes up for a reason. And because of that, I think our expectations for defenses need to change with it. And I acknowledge what you just said. I think that it's important that we understand that good defenses are going to beat up on bad offenses, right? Davis Mills against the Buffalo defense last year was a train wreck, right? Yeah. And those are going to change your numbers. But when you go and play really, really good offenses, you're not going to win. You just want to try and slow them down. And then you need your good offense. That's one of the reasons why the phrase defense win championships, I don't think is a thing anymore. I think it used to be, but I don't think it's a thing anymore because at this point, defenses allow your offense to win a championship. <laughs> I'll get you there. Defenses can kind of hold you down at that point. But that's what I expect from this defense. I don't expect them to stop the Rams. But if I can get some slowing, then I'm good. Uh, so scary, man. So scary. Okay, coming in at number six, we have uh, on the other side, the Lou Lazar of the Super Bowl, Mr. Joe Burrow himself, uh, ranked ahead of the winner of the Super Bowl, coming in at six. If ever there was a wins or not a quarterback stat moment, this is the moment right here, because this is yeah. actually the beginning of my top tier. So the line is between Burrow and Stafford. That's the line. So the top six are average remainder of roster equals Super Bowl contender. And the bottom four in this group are part of the above average remainder of roster equals Super Bowl contender. How can I say that about Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow had unbelievable weapons. Yeah, he also had terrible, terrible offensive line. And we always say that a bad offensive line dooms a quarterback. We say that all the time. It didn't doom Joe Burrow last year. That's how good Joe Burrow is. That you can have one of the worst offensive lines in football and still make a Super Bowl. That is staggering when it comes to that you know Matthew Stafford had a markedly better team around him as a whole than Joe Burrow did and here we are Joe Burrow you gave him some really good weapons you gave him that the defense was all right the offensive line was atrocious and yet here we go Joe Burrow out there doing Joe Burrow stuff and the growth that he showed last year when it comes to processing the fact that you're going to have a bad offensive line, the fact that you're able to get the plays off that Joe Burrow can, think about the all the moon balls, all the deep shots you saw from Bengals offense. 
and then try to rectify that in your head with the idea that the Bengals had a terrible offensive line. Those two things feel like they shouldn't coexist. A terrible offensive line and lots of deep shots, right? Because you need lots of deep shots. You need offensive line to hold up if you want to have that, right? That just makes sense. It makes sense that you would have to have a average to above average situation going on with the offensive line in order to qualify for that. Nope. Not when you have a 2.41 time to throw with Joe Burrow. You have 2.41 time to throw, and you led the NFL in yards per attempt. The guy who has no offensive line led the NFL in yards per attempt and completion percentage. Do you know how ridiculous that concept is? To lead the NFL in both completion percentage, which is inflated by taking the ball short, and also yards per attempt, and still have a 2.41 time to throw. That is obscene. The year that Joe Burrow had, I am 100% convinced that the Cincinnati Bengals decided to get a naming sponsor for their stadium so they would have the money to put an escrow for Joe Burrow's next contract. <laughs> well, they're, they're going to have to, I mean, the way these contracts are happening, man, they're going to have to, they're going to have to give them like ownership of the team at some point. Like it, it's just getting ridiculous the way this new money is coming in. But am I, am I crazy to think, um, hot take here. I've said it before publicly. Am I crazy to think that that the Bengals don't make the playoffs this year? I, I feel like one of the points that you made earlier about the Ravens having one of the most injured teams in history. I think um, I don't think Mitch Trubisky is necessarily a Hall of Famer, but I think he's better than than what uh, Ben Roethlisberger's been over the last couple of seasons. And you know, obviously Deshaun Watson is is going to be suspended at the minimum six games, but. Um, if it's more than okay, but if not, I mean, Deshaun Watson and, and the Cleveland Browns have a roster that would have something to say about that division as well. Do you do you think I'm crazy to come out and say, hey, man, I think the Bengals might actually miss the playoffs this year? I don't because they didn't crazy. dominate in. I don't think it's crazy because you have logic behind it, and if you have logic behind it, it's not crazy. I disagree with it, and I think I'd agree with it if the Bengals hadn't upgraded their offensive line a lot this offseason, which they did. Mm -hmm. I think if the Bengals hadn't done that then I would look around at your situation and go, well, everyone else is going to take a step forward this year, and you're not. But the Bengals put a lot of resources into fixing that offensive line. I can't imagine what Burrow's going to look like with time to throw this year. So if they hadn't taken their own step forward, I would agree with that statement. The fact that they had means I, I think it's Bengals and Ravens for that division because I think Deshaun Watson is going to get a lot more significant of a suspension. I think the Browns are going to be Jacoby Brissetting their way through 2022. Yeah, no, which I think, um, I think they're honestly, I think it's going to be a little bit more than a full season because I think um, the the financial aspect of it is what upset the owners. So, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, coming in at number five. Listen, I love this kid. Like, I, I mean, I absolutely have a man crush on this dude. Justin Herbert out there with the, uh, the Chargers. He's a phenomenal, since his rookie season, phenomenal quarterback. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Herbert. Third in QBR, 11th in passer rating, 10th in average net yards per attempt, 6th in EPA per play, 6th in DVOA, 3rd in PFF grade, 23rd in CPOE. Now, it's important to note that when you see an outlier for CPOE, it usually means they're throwing to more open targets. That's usually what that means. And in this case of Justin Herbert, it is. But why? Why is he throwing to more open targets? When you look at certain schemes, you think, 
oh man, they're really, they're getting a lot of help from the scheme. Justin Herbert's arm talent is the opposite of the situation we talk about when it comes to Russell Wilson. I'm not saying Russell Wilson doesn't have a great arm. He does. But Justin Herbert is one of those quarterbacks where all areas of the field are in danger at all times. And you've seen him do it. It's the same thing Josh Allen's got. And when those situations happen, you have scenarios where you can have someone riding wide open. Why are they running wide open? They're running wide open because the defense is like, I'm tired. I've been covering for seven seconds. Justin Herbert roll out. Now he's going to throw against his body across the hash, 40 yards down the field on a dot. And I'm tired. Asking a defender to cover for six seconds is absurd. But when you have Justin Herbert, you have at all times the danger zone at all levels of the field. And that's what he gives you. In addition to that, you have the fact that he has an absolute cannon for an arm. He has mobility. He has all the traits that Josh Allen has. He's just not quite as accomplished at this point as Josh Allen. But make no mistake, Justin Herbert is every bit the athlete and every bit the ball of traits that Josh Allen is. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. And I, I really like Justin Herbert. I like his personality. I think he's funny. Uh, he's kind of a biology nerd, you know? And uh, I, can re- I really respond to him. But his physical traits are what give him the edge over Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow has a perfectly reasonable arm, but the traits just as efficient in a lot of different areas, but with more physical tools, that's what gives Herbert the nod for me. Man, he's incredible. He's absolutely like since his rookie year, I I remember watching him and I'm just like, Oh, this guy is going to be one of my favorites to watch for a long time. Same thing with Joe Burrow. I love both of them. So, okay, we're going into overtime here. I'm sorry. We, uh, I, I talked too much for you. Do you have time to, to kind of keep going with me here? Absolutely. Okay, so let's get to number four here, and I'll try to speed up for you. Everybody in Buffalo's favorite guy to love, the guy that we all feel like looks the best in shorts in the NFL, Mr. 17 himself, Joshua Patrick Allen, coming in at number four. Uh, good spot. Good spot. I feel like some people won't be happy, but, but let's talk about Josh. I think that we – really, really, really are being prisoners of the moment when it comes to Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a elite quarterback, elite quarterback. It's also really important to note that Josh Allen's first four games of 2021 were not great. After the first four games, his average net yards per attempt were 16th. His QBR was 15th. His pass rating was 17th. His DVOA was 19th. His PFF grade was 21st. His CPOE rank was 24th. His EPA per play rank was 15th. I'll never forget having people tell me after the first couple of games, has Josh Allen been figured out? And then all of a sudden, Josh Allen goes absolutely nuclear in the playoffs. And we all we remember for the entire year is those two games in the playoffs, where it was one of the greatest playoff performances ever by any quarterback. That is not hyperbolic. One of the greatest offensive performances by any quarterback ever in the playoffs. Ever, ever. But we're just forgetting the entire sample size because of two games. Josh Allen's 2021 season was not nearly as good as his 2020 regular season. And that's the truth. It wasn't as good. Now, his playoffs were better, but that sample size is really, really, really small. He was still very, very good, and he ended on an unbelievable note. But this is not a projection moving forward. This is really important. 
This is not a who would I rather have as a quarterback moving forward for the next decade. This is a where are they right now? Oh, well, you know, Bruce, Aaron Rodgers lost Devontae Adams. Okay, Aaron Rodgers lost Devontae Adams. Okay, that doesn't change anything about the last time we saw him play. Oh, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes lost Tyreek Hill. Okay, that doesn't change anything about your projecting. You're assuming what you think they're going to look like at the end of this year. That's not what these rankings are. Nothing has changed since the last time we saw him. And the last full season we saw him, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers all played better than Josh Allen did. Now, Josh Allen had an unbelievable, unbelievable run in the playoffs. And he's an elite quarterback. But I cannot, in good faith, put him over the reigning back-to-back MVP, the most accomplished quarterback of all time, who was better than him last year. Tom Brady was better than Josh Allen last year. And Patrick Mahomes, who has never had a bad season, literally ever. Patrick Mahomes has never had a better a bad season. In fact, you could make an argument as to how many bad games he's had. He's never had a four-game stretch where people wondered if he got figured out. In the middle of 2021, the Chiefs' offense went through a weird stretch, and they were like, oh, and that weird stretch was still really good for Patrick Mahomes. So I can't put Josh Allen over the other three of them and remain intellectually honest. But I can put him in a top tier and say he's an elite quarterback. And anybody in this top six, you should be darn grateful and not even be considering anybody else. That's where I've got Josh Allen here. For the record, I I was at the place where I wouldn't consider anybody else before anybody was at that place. Just saying. I I didn't want to hear nothing about trading Josh. And, and actually, Bruce told me I was crazy. I did. No. <laughs> I absolutely did. Because 2020 was the first year of what I would consider to be extension-worthy play for Josh Allen. I've said this before. If I would have mm-hmm. gotten 2019 Josh Allen every year, I would not have signed that player to an extension. I would not. Absolutely not. 2019 Josh Allen was not good enough, in my opinion. And so 2020 Josh Allen absolutely was. But then you have one year of extension-worthy play. So, to me, it's it's absolutely... I'm not ashamed to say that I'm... Hey, I'm in a spot where I was not on board with a Josh Allen extension after 2019. Absolutely not. I mean, that year, it was a scenario where his stew was 27.57. So, if you took the average rankings of his passer rating as DVOA, 27th in the league after 2019. That is Hmm. not good enough, right? It's just not. And and so then you put that in 2020, it was 3.57. Reminder, lower number is better. The jump that Josh Allen took qualitatively, right? We started to see growth in 2019. But as far as results go, 2018 and 2019 were not good enough for me. Now, that's one of the reasons why Patrick Mahomes is over him in the list. So 2018, Mahomes was better than him. 2019, Mahomes was better than him. 2020, Josh Allen was better. 2021, Mahomes was better than him. So four years, they've both been starting. Three of those four, Mahomes has been better than Josh Allen. I cannot put Josh Allen ahead of him. I can't. I just can't. I think it's intellectually dishonest to do it. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand. Like I said, the the fan base, we, we, 
we've grown to to be a fan base in Buffalo that we fall in love with the players because for so long all we had to, was like the players. That's all we had. We weren't good. We didn't go to the playoffs. We didn't win. Now we have a winning team. So you add the fact that we can celebrate the winning to go along with the way that we love our players. Uh, it's just insane. So now there's nobody better than, than Josh, according to the fan base and there's nobody, but I'm actually in agreement with you here at number four. I do think um, all the players that you have above him are where they should be for the right reasons. And I'm sure you're going to explain them and let's get into it at number three with the all time, goat the guy who is at the top or should be at the top of everybody's list for regardless of what you're talking about tom brady is that dude uh let's let's hear why you feel like number 12 is at three qbr second passer rating seventh average net yards per attempt fifth epa per play third dvoa second pff grade first cpoa 15th runner up for mvp tom brady was really really good last year (laughs) really good He was the runner-up for MVP behind Aaron Rodgers, who was back-to-back. This idea that Tom Brady was, like, slinking into retirement for all of a couple months is not true. Tom Brady was really, really, really good last year. One of the most impressive things recently about Tom Brady was how different the Bruce Arian system is for Tom Brady versus the situation he was in in New England. It's a very different offense. Tom Brady consistently has one of the lowest times to throw, but also had one of the highest average yards per throw. So he was throwing it fast and he was throwing it long. I mean, it's an absolute perfect marriage of quarterback and offensive system because Tom Brady's always been a good deep ball passer. Tom Brady is not a check down Charlie, but the offense was a little bit more horizontal in New England, barring the 2017 season where they were going bombs out with Dante Stallworth, Randy Moss, and Wes Welker. And so Tom Brady was really, really good last year. Like, really good. And I I, I do not understand the idea that you could have Tom Brady not high on this list if the argument is anything aside from I'm picking this quarterback for the next five years. If that's the argument, well, then, okay, I get it because Tom Brady's probably going to retire at some point here soon. And the same mm-hmm. argument can be made about Aaron Rodgers. But that's not the argument we're having. We're talking about effectiveness and results, and they are primarily weighted on the 2021 season. A little bit of 2020, a little bit less of 2019, a little bit less of 2018. But the most significantly weighted part of this is the 2021 season. And in the 2021 season, he was one of the best players in football. Yeah, absolutely. It's frustrating for me, uh, not now with him being in Tampa, but it's frustrating for me. You know, it's like at what point, you know, we, we've seen previously, OK, at some point, you know, their shoulders just seem to fall off a cliff like they just can't throw the ball. And so it's like you're waiting for Tom Brady for all of these years to do it. And now the guy's going on year 47 in the league and is and he's still throwing faster and longer. And it's like it's, it's like, dude, what, what are you what are you doing? He's He's amazing. He's insane. Coming in at number two, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself. I think, honest to God, man, it's going to be it's going to be tough when it's all said and done to not have this guy in the argument with Tom Brady as being the GOAT. Uh, Patrick Mahomes coming in at number two. Fifth in QBR, 10th in passer rating, ninth in average net yards per attempt, second in EPA per play, fourth in DVOA, 13th in PFF grade, sixth in CPOE. Patrick Mahomes, ladies and gentlemen. There's a Jeffrey Brown in the comment section says, ha 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 ha, Allen is way better than Mahomey. I see no way you can make an argument on this that is based on a sort of significant sample size. If you want to say Josh Allen was better than Mahomes in a game, sure. 
If you want to say he was better than him in the 2020 season, sure. But those are the only arguments you can make. Patrick Mahomes has been better than Josh Allen for at least three of the four years that they've both been starting. And he's been an MVP already. This is a guy who is consistently playing at MVP level. He's gotten MVP votes multiple years mm-hmm. and consistently produces. And I think that the idea that Patrick Mahomes is going to fall off a cliff without Tyreek Hill, I don't think there's a lot to it. I really don't. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't say that he won't. He won't feel that. He won't feel that. He will. He will feel that. But you cannot simultaneously say that Patrick Holmes will fall off the cliff without Tyreek Hill, and then also say Stephon Diggs didn't make Josh Allen. Those two things are intellectually dishonest. Now, I understand that fandom is intrinsically intellectually dishonest, but you're not going to hear it from me. My argument has been all along that Stephon Diggs didn't make Josh Allen because wide receivers can't make quarterbacks. If I say wide receivers can't make quarterbacks, I cannot then turn around and say that Tyreek Hill made Patrick Mahomes. I can't just because he's wearing a color of a team that I don't root for. You can't do that. Patrick Mahomes is a really, really good player. If you look at any major quarterback metric, they have the Mahomes-Darnold discussion. If you make a quarterback metric and Mahomes is at the top or close to the top and Darnold's close to the bottom, then that's probably a good quarterback metric. That's the rule when it comes to looking at quarterback metrics. And guess what? QB Stu has that, right? Mahomes is close to the top. Darnold's close to the bottom. And I don't see that there's an argument. I really don't. I don't see that you can make an argument that right now, based on what we have seen, Josh Allen's better than Patrick Mahomes. Now, I can see an argument that you want to say if you say that Josh Allen is going to be better than Patrick Mahomes. If you say, okay, they were close. Mahomes is going to lose a little bit because of Tyreek Hill. Josh Allen's going to gain a little bit because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, I can see that. I can get that. But based on what we have seen thus far, I don't think there's an argument to be made. All right. Well... Coming in at number one, we have the guy who he's been my favorite quarterback uh, prior to Josh being drafted. And I still think he's the I think I've never seen anybody play the position of quarterback better than this guy, um, with the exception of Tom Brady for overall career. But but Aaron Rodgers to me is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen physically play the game. This guy is a beast. He's the most accurate. He's the like he just does things that you feel like just shouldn't happen. And. I feel like he's the father. Like he he's the guy, he's the reason why we have the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about AR 12. Number one in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in average net yards per attempt, number one in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number four in PFF grade, number seven in CPOE. Now, this is important. Aaron Rodgers has the best ball placement of any quarterback I've ever seen. Ever. Ever. Now, I understand that there's an argument that he can be a little bit conservative, right? And that, But I've seen Aaron Rodgers make some of the most ridiculous throws that anyone has ever made ever because the ball placement is that good. And he can do it from multiple different platforms. This is a guy who does not have to have his feet set as far as pure arm talent goes. And when I say arm talent, I don't mean arm strength. I mean arm talent. The ability to throw off platform, the ability to not have your feet set, the ability to have different arm angles. He has the greatest amount of arm talent that has ever existed in the NFL ever. That is not hyperbolic. 
as far as you can you combine arm strength, you combine different platforms, you combine ball placement, you combine the fact that his his lower body mechanics don't even have to be in place. That's how good his arm is. His <laughs> arm is so good that he can be falling backwards, and you're like, no, no, please don't watch Aaron Rodgers do this. Aaron Rodgers is not teaching tape for quarterback mechanics. He's not. His arm is that good that he doesn't have to be. He can have everything screwed up. He can throw it sidearm. He can throw it underhand. He can throw it. And that's, Patrick Mahomes has some of that stuff too, but not the way Aaron Rodgers does. Aaron Rodgers can put it in your cup from 30 yards away, falling backwards left-handed. That's the kind of arm talent we're talking about when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. And when you combine that with a really good offensive system, I think you finally get the best version of Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers was really good in spite of Mike McCarthy, not because of Mike McCarthy. I think people who have seen Mike McCarthy in Dallas now are starting to appreciate, or at least should appreciate Aaron Rodgers more because he was good in spite of Mike McCarthy, not because of Mike McCarthy. And now you see him with a better offensive mind. All you get is, oh, I don't know, back-to-back MVPs. And as long as he is the back-to-back MVP, I don't see how you can not have him won. I just don't get it. I just rattle off a, a list of you. And this idea that Aaron Rodgers, well, he chokes in the playoff. Aaron Rodgers' career passer rating in the playoffs is 10 point higher than Tom Brady's. <laughs> Don't give me any of that nonsense. It's slightly less than Josh Allen, and it was way more than Josh Allen before he had two games that went absolutely nuclear. I am not here for any of your anti-Aaron Rodgers, he chokes in the playoff arguments. Because wins are not a quarterback stat. That's why. I'm with you. I, I've always said that, um, you know, you put Aaron Rodgers on some of those, you know, whatever those Tom Brady teams that had great defenses and see if, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the same amount of Super Bowls or you put them on a roster like Buffalo has this year or last year. And you, I just think I just think that Aaron Rodgers, um, you, you mentioned he's the most accurate passer that I've ever seen. Um, he's made plays that I've never like I still think about the play when they were playing against uh, Dallas in the playoffs a couple years back and he was rolling out to his left and he threw the ball. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like Jordy Nelson or I think it was Jordy Nelson on the sideline. And he just made the play running to his left, running out of bounds. And and he caught the ball like literally like tiptoeing. But it it was just it's just insane, like a 40 yard throw down the field on a rope. Now you see Josh Allen make those plays almost routinely. But before that, you know, like before Mahomes and before uh, Justin Herbert, we're making throws like this, man. You didn't see anybody but Aaron Rodgers every single week making these type of plays, and it's insane to me. It's insane. Just ridiculous throw after ridiculous throw after ridiculous throw, and it will continue to be that way. And now he has the stuff on schedule in order to help supplement some of the off-schedule stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So now we have your top 10. And like I said, I know we went a little overtime there. So we're going to end this up here. I did want to end the conversation up about um, a couple guys that didn't make the top 10 at all. So um, it's kind of a weird turn here. But the reason for it is you were having a conversation. You were talking about how you would take Kirk Cousins over Kyler Murray. And the thing is, I agree with the fact that both those guys aren't top 10 players. But I don't know if I can and, – and you typically explain things well enough to, to make me go along with whatever it is that you say. So I'm looking forward to hearing um, if you were a GM right now 
And they said, you know what? This is the roster. You have a you have a pretty solid roster, top to bottom. We're giving you the pick between these two guys. You're telling me that you would go and take Kyler Murray before you would take, or I'm sorry, you would take Kirk Cousins before you would take Kyler Murray. And that part kind of sort of confuses me. So I would like to hear um, why you have Kirk Cousins ranked higher. So and very important. If you made me a GM, I'd take Kyler Murray because he's younger, a lot younger. But assuming but the age you had the one year, right? If assuming you just one, one year, year, give me Kirk Cousins, and I'll tell you why. Um, Kyler Murray is currently existing in an offense that is as well suited to his skill set as humanly possible. And this, I mean, this is a guy, you know, Cliff Kingsbury specifically picked Kyler Murray. And it was a match made in heaven from the beginning, and everyone just acknowledged that. And Kirk Cousins. If you look at his passing chart, right, it doesn't look the way that Kyler Murray's does, and it doesn't look the way Russell Wilson's does. And this is the height thing that we were talking about before. Kirk Cousins, first off, is one of the best deep passers in football. I don't understand why people don't know that. I, I think maybe they're just not watching or they're not paying attention. But Kirk Cousins is one of the best deep passers in football. But he doesn't have to just throw deep outside the numbers. If you looked at a quarterback and wanted to say something along the lines of, uh, well, this wide receiver made this quarterback. I said before, I don't believe in that. If you wanted to make an argument for me that a wide receiver made a quarterback, show me Kyler Murray before and after DeAndre Hopkins' injury. Show me those passing charts. Because I'm going to say something here that is an interesting correlation that I don't think a lot of people want to talk about. And that is, you ever notice that you said, oh man, Russell Wilson has a tendency to drop off in the last half of the year. And you never notice that Kyler Murray has a tendency to drop off in the last half of the year? Mm -hmm. it's not because they choke. It's because they're short. Why on earth would that matter? Why would that matter? Because as the more tape comes along on you over the course of the year, and they realize you're not taking advantage of certain areas of the field, defenses can start to plan around the things you can't do. Mm. And that's what they can do with Kyler Murray. And that's what they can do with Russell Wilson. They can plan around the things that you're not doing specifically. They can say, okay, what type of deep outside the numbers concepts from a passing standpoint, are they running? What kind of coverages can I run that can afford you the opportunity to take advantage of something you will not take advantage of? Every defense has a weakness. If you can give a quarterback a weakness that they are less likely to take advantage of, then it's less of a weakness. So if my defense has a weakness and that weakness is middle of the field, short, and you happen to have Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson who aren't going to throw the ball, short in the middle of the field. They're not, they don't throw the ball there because they don't see it. Then that gives me an upper hand as the defense. Those type of limitations do not exist for better pure passers. And Kirk Cousins is one of them. So it's important to note that they're very closely ranked. I have the second tier of quarterbacks going Stafford, Wilson, Jackson, Prescott, Cousins, Carr, Murray, Winston, in that order. So they are literally two spaces apart. It goes Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Kyler Murray in that order. So I'm not making a broad statement that Kirk Cousins is way better than Kyler Murray. But as I mentioned earlier, when you were forced to rank things, you have to mm -hmm. find reasons to rank somebody over something else. And when it comes to my ability to run a full offense from a passing standpoint, now I understand there's rushing stuff that Kyler Murray can do that Kirk Cousins can't do, obviously. But as far as a pull, full passing offense, all levels of the field, Three levels, inside the hash, outside the hash. I can do it all. 
if Kirk Cousins is my quarterback. I can do it off Derek Carr as my quarterback. That's how I drew the line between Carr, Cousins, and Murray, is what limitations do I have as an offensive play caller if this guy's my quarterback? Because the top, the top group, there are no limitations at all. If Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen is your quarterback, you can do whatever the heck you want. You're not going to have to worry about offensive coordinators not wanting to come and be the offensive coordinator for Josh freaking Allen. Because you can do whatever the heck you want, and Josh Allen can do it. From a passing standpoint, that's true with Cousins and Carr. It's not true with Kyler Murray. Right. Right. So, I guess that, that – so you answered me. Because, I mean, the, the part that I was confused on is because, like, so Kyler Murray to me just has, you know – he has that it thing, you know, and, and it's it's tough to kind of say what it is, but it's like he's just good. And and but to your point, come towards the end of the season, he does seem to fizz, fizzle out. It happened last season, happened the year before. I used to blame that on, on Cliff, uh, on the coach. I didn't I personally don't think um, he's really prepared or he's he's going to be good at this level for an extended period of time. Um and that's me being here, being able to see those guys up close and personal. I go to a lot of their practices. I, I go to their camp. I, I make sure I'm at the games. I got season tickets. So I just think what I see out of Cliff Kingsbury, I, I don't I don't trust him as a coach. If this was Buffalo, I would not be comfortable um, year after year with him being the head coach. I'm so happy we have Sean McDermott. So, uh, but, but no, I mean, it makes sense. I'm actually kind of interested, too. I see Daryl in the comments. He's actually um, asking. He's like, Cousins over Kyra as well. Interesting. How do you think, um, not not in a comparison since this time around, but this season? So we see that one of the biggest moves of the offseason was uh, Devontae Adams was uh, not really the happiest or, you know, there were some things going on in Green Bay, got traded out to Las Vegas with his uh, one of his best friends in life and his college quarterback, Derek Carr. How do you, um, what are your expectations with Derek Carr this year? It couldn't happen to a worse division. I will tell you what, man. If the, if the Raiders were in any different division, I'd be like, all right, yeah, let's go. But, you know, the Chiefs, the Chargers, AFC West is just slobber knocker after slobber knocker, just the whole way around. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough for the Raiders, but not necessarily because Derek Carr can't distribute well enough. I think he can. I, I'm completely fine. If, if, if Derek Carr is your quarterback, you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr as your quarterback. I think you win a Super Bowl with Kyler Murray as your quarterback. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. All these players are players I would not be in a hurry to get rid of. But the big one there in that tier is Jameis Winston. I think Jameis Winston is a lot better than other people think Jameis Winston is. So Absolutely. I'm going to be either proven very right this year or I'm going to look like an idiot because I'm much higher on Jameis Winston than most. But when I look at Derek Carr's situation, I think, I mean, goodness gracious, the absolute gluttony that the Raiders have right now when it comes to offensive weapons, right? I'm a big Hunter Renfro guy. Uh, this yeah. is a fun story. I don't know if you know this. Hunter Renfro is my favorite football player in the entire league who's not a Buffalo Bill. Did not know that. Hunter Renfro is absolutely number one. I, I don't even have playing cards, but one of my workplace proximity associates knew that I was a Hunter Renfro guy and actually got me a Hunter Renfro card. And so I have it on my, at my place of work. And I, I have Hunter Renfro. So I'm a big Hunter Renfro guy, but you add that to Darren Waller and you, you add that to Devonte Adams. And you're like, okay, this is, this is real. If Josh McDaniels is markedly better than he was when he was with the Broncos, mm -hmm. that offense is going to be real. My big concern is the defense. 
and I don't think the defense can hold up. Like I mentioned before, I don't need my defense to stop Justin Herbert because you don't stop Justin Herbert. I don't need them to stop Patrick Mahomes because you don't stop Patrick Mahomes. I just need them to slow him down, and I don't think they can do it enough. Yeah, that I think um, for me, the, the trade, and not just Devontae Adams, but a lot of those moves that happened to that division, uh, Russell Wilson and you know the trade of uh, Tariq Hill out of that division into the AFC East, I think a lot of these things were, were positives for the Buffalo Bills. You know, you got a, a division that's going to beat themselves up. <laughs> you got to, you know, it, now it will be tough in the playoffs. You're going to have a team in the playoffs that may have a, a nine and seven record or a nine and eight record or a, you know, a 10 and a record that doesn't look like a Super Bowl contending record, but they're better than their record looks because they're in such a tough division. So I'm looking forward to it, man. It's a lot of good football to be had this season. Bruce, man, thank you for doing this. I'm sorry. I took you over time. I still really, it's so much more I want to talk to you about. That just means I got to have you back on so we can do like a part two to this. Dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's do it. So why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, uh, anything you got coming up this week. I know you, um, your show is always amazing, so go ahead and uh, take some time and plug everything you need to plug. You can find me at Bruce Exclusive on Twitter. If I haven't offended you and your delicate sensibilities, <laughs> um, the one thing that you can count on when it comes to my show and my Twitter feed is that above all else, I value intellectual honesty. Um, I am not here to... Um, I'm not here to tell you everything that you want to hear. I'm not here to troll you. I'm not here to get a rise out of people. Um, going for engagement, saying things that I know will get a bunch of you know likes and retweets or a bunch of ratios. And that's not really my thing um, because I care deeply about wanting to make sure that the process is sound and that you arrive at a, at a logical conclusion regardless of whether or not you like that conclusion. So if it is something that, is meaningful to you. If that's something that you find valuable, then by all means, you can follow me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. You can follow me on Instagram there, in which case you're just going to get pictures of dogs and food. You can listen to the Bruce exclusive, which is my show. It drops every Thursday on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. And I'm live with a much more lighthearted show with Nate Geary on Friday evenings at 9 PM for a show called food for thought. So I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you guys being here. I hope I still have followers when I get back to Twitter today after saying that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are better than Josh Allen, which I didn't think was blasphemous, but apparently uh, based on my mentions today, it actually is. Well, I will tell you this, though, before we get out of here, Bruce said that um, he's not here for certain things and he's he does the intellectual thing. I tell you what, you come to my timeline, you're going to catch these jokes. You come at me wrong, you're going to catch these words. Listen, y'all love each other. Take care of each other and live in peace. And as always, stay positive. Test negative. Let me get a go Bills, Bruce. Go Bills. Let's go. Code of conduct.